podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL roundtable feed. So just search EPL roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now on with the show. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast. Today is Tuesday. It is June the 20th. Hope you're all well. Hope all of you in America enjoyed Juneteenth yesterday. Shout out to Charlie Kirk. You're still a massive racist. And moving on then, we get into the news. And a lot happened over the weekend. The most shocking thing, I suppose, was Bournemouth announcing yesterday that they had parted ways with Gary O'Neill. Now, It was just unexpected because he'd obviously kept them up and the expectation I think everybody had was that will earn him 
the new season in the job. And I think I'd said I wouldn't be surprised if they made a change around October, November, if the season didn't start well. But they've decided not to wait. They have removed Gary O'Neill, and within a couple of hours, they had announced their new manager is Andoni Iraola, the former Rio Vallecano manager, whose name I might be butchering, but that's what I'm going to go with for now anyway, until I hear otherwise. I think this is a great appointment. I really do. I think this is about as good as they could have gotten. Now, he was strongly linked to the Leeds job back in February when they moved on from Jesse Marsh. He's one that Leicester looked at when they moved on from Brendan Rodgers, but he wasn't prepared to leave Vallecano at that point. And I saw the usual ignorance when people who don't know who a manager is see a manager getting appointed into a certain job and lots of, oh, well, that's relegation confirmed for next year. Let's just have a quick look at what this gentleman did at Rio Vallecano. Now, worth pointing out, that was his third job. He managed AEK Larnaca in Cyprus for about six months and did quite well. 29 games, 12 wins, 9 draws, only the 8 defeats. And that's a team that generally competes in the Europa Conference League. So he did pretty well with them. Then he took over Mirandes, lower league Spanish side, was there for a season 49 games, 18 wins, 17 draws, 14 defeats. That's a team that isn't going to get promoted into La Liga. That's a a middle-of-the-road Secunda Division team who, if they stay in the Secunda Division, they're fairly happy each year. In both of those jobs, he ends up with a positive goal difference, which is always a good sign. Then he takes over Rayo Vallecano. When he takes over... They have just finished seventh in the Secunda Division. They were relegated at the end of the 18-19 season from La Liga into the Secunda. They finished seventh. And then under him, at the first attempt, they get promoted through the playoffs. And they go up into La Liga. There's an expectation that they are going to go straight back down. You can go back and read all of the previews and projections for the 21-22 Rayo Vallecano season or La Liga season in general, and most people had them going straight back down. And they finished 12th. And they got to the semi-finals of the Copa del Rey. Last season, they finished 11th. They got to the round of 32 of the Copa del Rey. That was a bit of a disappointment, but they finished 11th very comfortable in mid-table. No risk of going down, no threat of getting dragged into the mess. If you look at the table, they finished above Sevilla, who won the Europa League, and then there's a six-point gap to Celta Vigo, Cadiz, Hetafe, Valencia and Almeria, all of whom were under threat of relegation to go down. Look above them, they finished only goal difference behind Girona. They finished one point behind Mallorca. They finished two points behind Athletic Club de Bilbao. Four behind Osasuna, who finished seventh and got into the Europa Conference League. That's a hell of an achievement. And if you look at their squad, it's not star names. 
there's a couple of players everybody will be familiar with, most notably Radamel Falcao. There's also Bebe, who people will remember, who Manchester United bought at one point, and he didn't work out there. But this is not a team of star names, not even close to it. Mario Suarez is probably the second most well-known player there from the time he spent at Atletico Madrid. Florian Lejean, who was at Newcastle, was there. Raul de Tomas, they brought in January. They actually bought him last summer after the transfer window had closed and he arrived in January. He was probably their best player. But there's there's no stars here. There's no big-name players. And they weren't getting great goal production from Falcao in the last couple of years. He's very much a shell of himself. Sergi Guardiola was their top scorer from midfield in the 21-22 season. And last season, Palazon, who's a winger, was their top scorer. But the thing about an Irola team is he gets goals from different places. He doesn't rely on one player to be his primary goal scorer, which is a good thing for Bournemouth because they can't really rely on Dom Solanke. They're going to be looking for more goals from wide areas. I think this is a very, very good appointment. Now, as I went over last week, they've still got a lot of work to do. They need at least a right back and maybe some depth at centre back. They need at least one starting midfielder. And you probably want one more in attack. But there's a lot of talent there. And I'm pretty confident he's going to do well with this group. Now, it's still to be decided whether or not they bring back Matthias Vigne. They haven't taken up the option to buy him as yet. So if they don't bring him back, they'll probably want to bring in a left back as well. But right back is absolutely a priority for them. Their right back situation is probably the worst single position of any team in the league. But I think this guy is a really good manager. He wins more than he loses. He scores more than he concedes. And that's generally, generally a method for staying up. He's a very good player in his, in his playing days for Bilbao. Played 510 games for them over the course of his career. Finished up playing for New York City. He's got, I think, everything they're looking for in a manager. Very good man-manager, tactically very aware, plays an attractive brand of football, and knows how to pick the games where his team can target for points. There's no expectation on Bournemouth to get into Europe. The mission will be staying up. And I think he's a really good guy to do that. Not just do it by the skin of his teeth. I think he can do it in an impressive way. He'll turn 41 in two days. So he's still very, very young. But he's got good experience behind himself. And he brings to the Premier League some fresh ideas. He also brings the Premier League count of managers from the Basque country, 
specifically from, I think it's Gibuskoa, Gibuskoa, I don't know, whatever it is. It's the Bas, it's part of the Basque country. Regardless, there are now four managers from this one area of the Basque country in the Premier League. Julian Lopetegui, Unai Emery, Mikel Arteta, and him. Which, you know, when you consider what a small part of the world that is, for it to produce four managers at one time in the Premier League is very, very impressive. So I think Bournemouth have done well here. It's tough on Gary O'Neill. Of course it's tough on Gary O'Neill. And it's a shame for him because he did a very good job in keeping them up. But if we actually look at his record as manager, it's not it's not hugely impressive. It's not hugely impressive. 37 games, 11 wins, 6 draws, 20 defeats. I know he kept them up. But all things considered, that's not a particularly good record. It just isn't. And they went from like mid early October to mid February. I think they took seven points or nine points in thirteen games or something like that, which is quite poor. They had one good run of form that kept them up. It didn't seem repeatable. And the biggest reason they stayed up was really because they went and spent significant money in the January transfer window. Like That just seems to be overlooked by a lot of people. They brought in Oatara, uh, Semenyo, Zarbani. That was $55 They also brought in Hamad Traore with on a loan with an option to buy for twenty five, which brings it to eighty million, and then the Vigna deal is was a loan. Or, sorry, the Traore deal was a loan with an obligation to buy. The Vigna deal was a loan with an option to buy for fifteen million. So, like it was nearly a hundred million being committed in that one January window. That's an awful lot of money <clears throat> for a club like Bournemouth. So. You know, they kind of spent their way to safety. And they're probably going to have to do it again this summer. They are going to have to spend again this summer. There will be needs to be addressed. But now that they have the manager they wanted, I I can see them once again being aggressive in the transfer market. I will also point out, very, very notable about this deal, which clearly to have been able to announce it an hour after or two hours after they dismissed Gary O'Neill. Let me find the exact kind of time. Um, This had been in the works for a while and not one journalist had this. Nobody had this at all. This came completely out of the blue, the sacking and then the hiring. So they parted ways with Gary O'Neill at 12.30, and they announced the appointment of Iraola at 3 p.m., two and a half hours later. So clearly, very, very clearly, that deal had been in the works for a while, and nobody had it. So it just goes to show 
these journalists that claim to know everything don't know nearly as much as they let on. Anyway, let's move on. So we were going through the different Premier League teams and what they might need in the upcoming um, transfer window to head into next season. So we're Fulham and Leeds next. Leeds obviously have been relegated. And we've done Leeds, but we'll go over them again quickly. Uh, Fulham is an interesting case. So last summer they brought in Burnt Leno. That turned out to be a, a brilliant signing. He was tremendous for them this past year. They've also got Marek Rodek as a backup. I think that's pretty strong. They have been linked with moves for another goalkeeper. Maybe Rodek wants to move on. Maybe he wants to go and play more regularly than he will at Fulham. The blow for Fulham here is that he does count as a homegrown goalkeeper because he's been in England since he was 17. So he And he's been at Fulham since he was 17. So losing him does mean you're losing a homegrown player. I wonder will they address it with a homegrown player or will they just cast a wider net? They're not really up against the uh, the homegrown rules, but it wouldn't it wouldn't go astray. Actually, are they? To be fair, they're fairly they're fairly close to being up against it. Now I know Andreas Pereira, Bobby D Cordova Reed, they both count as homegrown. Uh, so does Tom Kearney, even though they're not England internationals. They have all been playing in Terry's Campbell counts as homegrown as well. They might be okay here. One, two, three, four, five, six, six. You only need eight, seven, eight, nine. They're fine. They actually are fine. They don't have many players who do play or could play for England. They've got a lot of players to play for other national teams who are homegrown players. So they're fine. So if Rodick leaves, they'll need somebody. If he doesn't, they're probably all right in goal. I would be looking for a right back. As a matter of priority, I would be looking for a right back. Kenny Tete has been a bit of a disappointment. A lot of injuries, but he hasn't played particularly well. Kevin Mbappu, I was hoping he would do well. He didn't. He had some injuries. I would expect that he might move on this summer. I would say right back needs to be priority for them. Anthony Robinson's a good left back. They'll need to bring in cover in that position because Kurzawa was there for the past season. They're not keeping him. They'll need a left back. In the middle, Tim Ream played incredibly well this past season. The best season of his career by a considerable margin, I would say. Asking him to repeat that at 35 years of age seems a bit of a stretch. They do have Tosin. They do have Issa Diop. Terence uh, Congolo is still there. But there's a likelihood that Tosin will move on. He's got a year left in his contract. He doesn't appear to want to stay. Now, I would have said him and Issa Diop is a pairing you could move forward with. Two big commanding centre-backs, both good on the ball, both pretty quick, both dominant in the air. But assuming Tosin does move on, and there will be a lot of clubs that will want him, 
I think they're going to need to bring in a starting centre-back to partner the up. Then you could have Reem and Congolo as your depth. It's not ideal. You'd ideally like to bring in one more younger player to develop. So maybe you say two centre-backs, starting right-back, back-up left-back. Again, it's a lot. But this is the situation that Fulham find themselves in time and again because of how they do their recruitment. In midfield, I think they're actually fine as long as they can keep Joe Polinia. That's the big question mark. He's been linked with moves to West Ham and others. If I was him, I would stay at Fulham for another year. If I was them, I'd offer him a new contract to convince him to stay. And even if you don't, you've still got him under contract. Tony Khan has has, um, confirmed there's no buyout clause there. So you can just keep him. But I think if you can give him a new contract, you probably get a happier version of him. Next to him, you've got Harrison Reed, who had a really good season. Sasa Lukic, who they brought in January, who didn't play a whole lot, but is a very good player, and I would expect to see a lot more from next season. You can play Tom Kearney in midfield, and you've got young Therese France, uh, Francois, I think is his surname. I think I said Francis earlier on, it is Francois. You might want to bring in one more for depth, for competition. Maybe somebody who is a long-term successor to Joe Polina as that defensive midfielder. But I think they're fairly strong there. Andreas Pereira is the 10. Tom Kearney is the backup to him primarily. I would probably look to move Tom Kearney on and look to bring in a little bit more competition for Pereira, but they don't have to do that this summer. Out wide, you've got De Cordova-Reed, Harry Wilson, Ivan Cavallero. You need to buy a winger. Obviously, this past season, they had Manor Solomon, I I don't know if they're going to try and keep him. I think they should. They also had Dan James. They won't be keeping him. If I was them, I'd be trying to make the Manor Solomon deal permanent. Now, I know there's the threat of legal action from Shakhtar if a club signs him permanently. I don't know why you can't go to Shakhtar and say, look, let's make a deal here. Let's say we give you ten million as a a legal settlement and we'll sign the player for free. I think it's a good move for Solomon. I think it's a club where he can continue to develop, continue to grow. He showed real flashes in the second half of the season when he came back from injury of a hugely promising player. I think him and Wilson, either side of Pereira, does give Fulham Quite a bit of quality. And then... Then up front, I'm guessing they're not going to do anything. They've got Mitrovic. They've got Carlos Vinicius. I think they'd be foolish to mess with that. Mitrovic obviously had a very, very good season. Vinicius showed flashes when... Mitrovic was out, that he can play to a high level in the Premier League. 
Now, he won't be a 15 to 18 goal a season scorer, but I don't think they need him to be that because they've got Mitrovic for that. So I would say you look at their squad, starting right back, starting centre back, back up centre back, back up left back. Maybe a young development option holding midfielder, starting left winger, and maybe one more sort of someone that can play the 10 and right wing and be a backup to both Pereira and Wilson, because both of them has had some injury issues. But it's a pretty good squad. Marco Silva did a brilliant job this past season. Fulham overachieved this past season, finishing 10th, top half finish in their first season in the division. For a long time, they were threatening to get a European spot. They had that bad run of form between the middle of February and the middle of May. I think they won two of, I want to say, two of 10, which, given how well they'd done before, that was a disappointment. But they stood to every team. They didn't take a backward step all season long. They finished with a positive goal difference across the season as well, which is always impressive for a newly promoted side. It was only plus two, but it's still plus two. Chelsea were minus nine. So, you know, they finished eight points ahead of Chelsea and 11 goals better off. That's kind of the model I'm looking at for Bournemouth this season. Get yourself to, you know, a goal difference of plus one or plus two, and you should be okay. You can obviously stay up with a negative goal difference. Lots of clubs did this past season. Everton, Forest, Bournemouth, West Ham, Wolves, Chelsea, and Palace all had negative goal differences and all stayed up. The big thing for Irola to do this this summer is fix that defence. Minus 34 last year, 71 goals conceded is a disgrace. But if they follow the Fulham path, if they could make one big aggressive move like Joe Polina, you know, where maybe it's a good price, 20 million, but maybe you have to overpay on wages. If they can keep you in the division, and Joe Polina was absolutely vital to keeping them in the division, it's worthwhile. I think Fulham face a big summer here. This is kind of new to them over the last while because the last two times they'd come up, they'd gone straight back down. So they haven't done the second season in the Premier League in a while. I think Tony Khan needs to be on top of the recruitment. I don't like how Fulham do their recruitment. I don't like the fact that Tony Khan seems to oversee it while being based in Jacksonville, Florida, while also working day-to-day with the Jacksonville Jaguars, the NFL team his father owns, and AEW, the wrestling company that he himself owns with his father. I don't think you can spread yourself that thin. I think they need to have somebody on the ground in London working day-to-day to head up their recruitment, someone that has the green light to go and make deals within the, the parameters of an agreed budget and an agreed wage bill. I think it leaves them 
always scrambling, always scrambling. You look at Fulham the last few years, and every time it gets to deadline day, Fulham are busy. Like, they're constantly trying to make deals happen on deadline day. This past year, Carlos Vinicius, Willian, and Shane Duffy, all on deadline day. Oh, I didn't even mention Willian. They'll have him, of course, for next season. I think he signed a two-year deal. No, one-year deal. Signed a one-year deal. I'd be surprised if they don't try and bring him back. Because he was really good for them. Really, really good. Having looked completely washed at Arsenal, completely washed with Corinthians, he was really good for Fulham this past year. And he can play left wing or the 10, so he does give them versatility quality depth, good option off the bench, can give you a player that can create a goal, can score a goal, or he can play a bit of keep ball and help you see out a game. I'd be surprised to don't bring him back. But they don't want to be in a position where come deadline day, they're bringing in multiple players. You want to have that business done. Actually, they brought in five, four players on deadline day. Vinicius, Willian, Dan James and Kurzawa all came in on deadline day. That's not how you want to be operating. On deadline day in January, they converted Shane Duffy's loan to a permanent deal. He's already left. He's away to Norwich. Uh, Sasa Lukic was on deadline day in January. And then Cedric Soares arrived on loan on deadline day. You need to get your business done a little bit earlier especially in the summer, so players can go through pre-season, get to know their teammates, get to know those around them, get to know what the manager wants. They've got some lads they need to sell as well. Can someone please sell Anthony Knockhart? Poor lads just bouncing around on an endless supply of loans that aren't doing him or Fulham any good at all. Uh, we'll move on to Leeds United then. So we've I've done Leeds, but they've got so much going on this summer. This is a massive summer for them. So they've just been sold, or they're in the process of the sale being finalised, um, for Radriazani to, to leave and 49ers Enterprises to take over. He's going to go and buy Sampdori. I think that deal is is pretty close to done. And 49ers Enterprises will take over. They've got a lot to do. They need a new manager. They need a new sporting director. And then they've got big decisions to make on the playing staff as well. I've said before, if someone offered me money for Ilan Melier, good money for him, I'd take it. I think he's talented, but he's very error prone. He's very, very error prone. He doesn't seem to be improving. Now, you can probably keep him in the championship and he's shown he's good enough to help you get out of the championship. So maybe if you appointed a top-tier goalkeeping coach, you could start to unlock more of his talent. But you've got to work with him on his judgment, when to come for crosses and when to leave them the hell alone. There is not a single goalkeeper I saw in Europe this past season who flaps at more crosses than Ilan Melier and leads to more chances against his own team than Ilan Melier. 
Klaassen is a decent goalkeeper. I think he's got promise. They had Joel Robles in last season. If I was them, I would be attempting to re-sign him for another year. He hasn't signed anywhere else yet. Leeds did did announce that his contract would not be extended. I think that's a mistake. I think you need to have that experienced, older head just, just for the training ground, just for the dressing room, just to talk these young keepers through bad moments. Maybe they'll go and they'll get somebody else in to fill that role. If if it's not going to be him, they're going to have to. They've got to get in an experienced goalkeeper who can be a mentor to Melier and Klassen, or they need to sell Melier and buy a more experienced goalkeeper. You've got Rasmus Christensen at right back. He should absolutely be the starter. You've got Luke Ayling. He's got a year left in his deal. I would be looking to move him on. But in the championship, he's he's fine, you know. So you're all right with him. Um, you've got young Cody Drama. I'd want him as the backup to Christensen. My assumption is they might just loan him out to Luton, where he was last year. But I'd rather go into the year with Christensen and Drama than Christensen and Ailing. Uh, left back, you'd want to move on Junior Firpo. I like Pascal Struik as the left back. I think he makes you more solid than having an attacker there. So I'd probably look for maybe a backup to him. Now, they might have somebody in-house. As we know, they have spent quite a bit of money and quite a lot of time bringing in young players over the last few years. And they do have Leo Hjeld, the young Norwegian, who's a left-footed centre-back, but very similar to Struik, and I think could play that left-back role, if required. So I'd be okay with them. Centre-back, you've got Lorente, you've got Robin Cock, you've got Max Vober, you've got Charlie Cresswell. You might lose Lorente. He went on loan in January. Don't know how thrilled he or Robin Cock or Max Vober are going to be to play in the Championship. But Vober only arrived in January, so he doesn't really have an out. Cresswell, I think, has has had a couple of decent loans. Uh, did well with Millwall last season. And I think you probably keep him. You'd have Yeld, you'd have Struyik. I think you probably will keep Robin Cock, let Diego Lorente go, and then buy one. I would say buy one centre-back. You've also got Liam Cooper. Again, I'd let him go. I just think the club have moved past the level of Cooper and Ailing. So I think I'd look to let him and Ailing go, sell Lorente, sell Firpo, and bring in one centre back, one reliable, solid, resolute, resilient centre back who doesn't get injured or who doesn't have a track record of getting injuries because you can't project the future. But so you can't predict the future, but you can project based on the past. So somebody who's not going to miss half the season would be very much needed. Um, in midfield, this is difficult because I think ideally you'd want to keep Tyler Adams and Mark Rocker 
I don't know if you're going to be able to. There's been some talk of buyout clauses. I would want to keep both. Now, you need depth to go with them because you don't really have anything else in midfield other than those two. So I think you've got to address that, bring in at least one, and then maybe someone like a Jamie Shackleton or some of the other kids that you've got at the club who maybe over the last few years haven't gotten the opportunities but have you know been involved in the squad and could potentially step up. Um, you know, the likes of Darko Gabby, I think he's ready to step up and play a bigger role. Um, young Archie Gray, perhaps, is ready to step up and play a squad role. I know he's still very young, but he might be ready to step up. Weston McKenney's obviously gone. I mean, Jack Harrison, if you keep him, he could play in midfield, but he's one I'd be looking to move on, largely because I think you'd get good money for him. I think if you sell him, it will enable you to then keep some of the other wingers. So I'd want to keep Somerville without question. I'd want to keep Sinistera. I'd want to keep Nanto and I'd want to keep Ruder. And all of them are under long-term contracts. So there's no real reason not to keep them. Now, Helder Costa, one of the disastrous signings made by Victor Orta, He's someone you'd look to sell. I think Tyler Adams is someone you'd look to sell. Ian Paveda is talented, but he's never really proven it. But I think you could keep him just for depth. Rodrigo, you definitely want to move on. Bamford, you want to keep. Gelhart, I'd probably look to loan. Just so he continues to get experience in game time. And I'd look to buy a striker. I've got Brandon Aronson as a 10. I've got Sam Greenwood as a 10. I don't need to touch that. I've got enough wingers. I've got Bamford. I need I need another striker, a younger version of Bamford, ideally, and someone who doesn't have a track record of injuries. Someone in that, you know, if you had the money, if you had the money, Jokerez of Coventry but he's going to have Premier League options. But someone in that mould, someone that's an all-rounder, can do a little bit of everything and do it all well. Because that's what Bamford, when Bamford's fit and at his best, Bamford is good across the board. He's not great at any one thing, but he's good at everything. So, backup striker. One in midfield for depth. That number changes if Adams or Roca leave. One centre-back, ideally a starting calibre centre-back. And maybe just a starting calibre goalkeeper if Melier leaves, if not a third-choice veteran. I don't think Leeds need to do a lot. I think Leeds are going down in a pretty good position because they've got so many good young players. And I think if you're selling Furpo, let's say you get 10 million. You sell Lorente, let's say that's 10 million. Well, there's 20. You might get three to four million for Cooper. You might get two to three million for Ailing. There's 27 million. 
I think Jack Harrison brings in good money, 25 million ish. Roberts, Costa, they might bring in 5 million combined. Rodrigo, maybe he brings in 8 to 10. You could push towards 70 million. And that should make up the shortfall of not having the Premier League money, but doesn't really leave enough then to go and bring players in. But maybe you can explore the loan market. Maybe there's a good centre-back sitting at a Premier League club, not playing enough, who'd be willing to take a year in the Championship. Maybe there's a centre-back at a European club that you could get on a loan with an obligation to buy if you come up. Same thing with the striker position. Now, if you sell Melier, he should fund both his own replacement and one of the other two things. Maybe both, depending on where you shop. But I'm quite confident Leeds have the playing staff to come back up the question is, who's going to be manager? If it's Steven Gerrard, I'll have real concerns. I really will have real concerns. I just don't think he's a very good manager. And you've got to nail the director of football appointment as well. That needs to happen first. The director of football needs to be in first before the manager. I don't know... Who else is really mentioned? I, I I know they looked at Potter and he turned them down. Um, Daniel Farka seems to be the current favourite. Now, he obviously got Norwich promoted twice, so he knows what it takes to get out of that division. But he did not have a good time when he went to Borussia Mönchengladbach. He got sacked after a year. Both times he brought Norwich up, they went straight back down. But he does know how to get out of the division. So I I could definitely see him as an option. Um, Patrick Vieira. I liked some of what he did with Palace. I don't know that that's the right job for him. Potter, I think, would be a no. Carlos Corbron did really well with Huddersfield, has done a good job with um, West Brom. I don't know if he'll be looking to move on this quickly. Daniel Farkett does seem the favourite. He does make a lot of sense. He does make a lot of sense. He knows the division. He knows how to get out of the division. And not just get out of it, like Norwich ran away with it twice. Yeah, maybe he's the guy you go and get, but you've got to get a director of football now. And here's here's where this might link up. Stuart Webber resigned as Norwich director of football not that long ago. Now, to my knowledge, he is not able to take a new job till September. But that doesn't mean he can't make phone calls and can't direct things from home. He's used to working with Daniel Farka. They had a lot of success together at Norwich. So get Farka now and then have Weber come in in January. That to me seems like the smart play for Leeds. Stuart Weber's really good at what he does. 
And Farke is a good manager. He has to prove it in the Premier League, but for the Championship, he is a good manager. So if I'm Leeds, I think that's the play. Weber is director of football, Farka as manager. I think he might be okay with what they've got in terms of um, goalkeepers and squad. I wonder would he try and bring in Tim Krul for a bit of experience in goal? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe Tim Krul will be the one they'd go for. The hope would be he wouldn't do what he did with Grant Hanley and just start over-relying on Liam Cooper. Grant Hanley was dreadful in that season for Norwich. and He kept playing him, and it's ultimately what got him sacked. He wouldn't move on from him. I think I think he'd do a good job at Leeds. I think he gets the best out of attacking players as well. So if I'm Brandon Aronson, if I'm Wilfred Nonto, if I'm Sinistera or Ruter, I, I think all of those players would benefit hugely from playing under him. The other one they have to sell actually as well is Dan James. Then maybe maybe there's not a huge market out there for him. They paid twenty five million for him. They paid fifty two million for him and Rodrigo. That's painful. Now they paid twenty five million for Ruter and he hasn't done anything yet, but I have confidence in his ability. There's lots of talent there. Lots and lots of talent. And Farkin might be the manager to get them out, out of the championship and back into the Premier League with a better base and more money to spend than he ever had at Norwich. And that was the big frustration for him and Weber is that they never really had the money to spend when they came up. Probably the play. Take a break. When we come back, there's news. I might not catch all of it, but I'll try and get through most of it. And there's a lot of gossip, so we'll get into that. We will see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, lots of stuff going on. Transfers starting to heat up. And Chelsea have confirmed the signing of Christopher Nkunku from RB Leipzig. This is a really good signing. There's there's no way around this. There's no way to try and knock this. He's a very, very good player. I would be concerned if the idea is to play him as the nine. I don't think that's what Chelsea are thinking. I think he will be more of a 10 for them or potentially play in wide areas. He did have a very good goal-scoring season both last year and this year. Last year, 35 and 52. This year, 23 in 36. There's no question he's a very good player. Very creative, great dribbler, hugely versatile. Chelsea have got a very good player here and they've got a lot of very good players at their at their club. They've still got a lot of work to do, and it looks like they're going to send out a number of players. As I was talking about on the the Daily Red today, you've got, it looks like, deals for Zayic, Mendy, Koulibaly, and potentially Aubameyang to all go to Saudi Arabia and basically fix Chelsea's FFP problems. Uh, N'Golo Kante is going that direction as well, but that's on a free it does look like they've got a deal close to being in place with Manchester City 
to send Mateo Kovacic there. If they do those things, then there's no pressure on them anymore with Mason Mount. And then they can still hold out for the best price from Arsenal for Kai Havertz. Chelsea clearly want somewhere close to seventy million for Havertz. Arsenal believe to be offering forty five, which is well below, well below what Chelsea want. Arsenal may try and make some of that up in add-ons, but it looks like Chelsea are looking for more guaranteed money. This is kind of the way Arsenal have operated the last couple of windows. They made an offer for Mikhailo Mudrik that was a similar price to what Chelsea offered, but Chelsea's was guaranteed money. Arsenal's was much more in add-ons. Caicedo, they went in way below value, but offered add-ons that would have brought it to close, but not quite what Brighton were looking for, but Brighton wanted the guarantees. Today we've got reports that Arsenal have bid £90 for Declan Rice but it's 75 and add-ons. West Ham are looking for over 100 million, including at least 90 guaranteed. Julian Timber, they're offering 30 million. Ajax want 50. Romeo Lavia, they're offering 30 million, maybe some add-ons. Southampton want 50. So Arsenal are doing splashy things, or trying to do splashy things, and they're making the media aware of what they're doing. They're very clearly leaking to the media what they're trying to do, and they're trying to use media pressure to force some deals, probably trying to manipulate some things with agents the way they did with the Caicedo deal. And all that really does is it pisses other clubs off. And there's a reason they're not getting Moises Caicedo. There's two reasons. One is they can't afford him. The other one is Brighton won't do business with them on him because of how they conducted themselves in January. And with Chelsea looking like they're going to find a way out of their FFP hole, they're now going to be in a stronger position to say to Arsenal, look, it's 70 million for Havertz or no, because we'll just keep him, we'll use him, and we're confident that he'll enjoy playing under Pochettino so much that he will sign a new contract. Now, there are some shady things about this situation with Chelsea and these players going to Saudi Arabia. Um, Mendy for 20-plus. Koulibaly for 30-plus. Aubameyang for 15. That's the price I saw. Maybe that's not a, a deal that will happen, but certainly a deal that's been mooted. And then there is Zayic for 20. On the face of it, those aren't bad prices for those players, but who else was paying them? The only other offer they had for Koulibaly was a loan from Inter. And when you dig into it, the clubs that are looking to buy these players from Chelsea are all clubs that were recently taken over by the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, the same entity that owns Newcastle, but also the same entity with billions of dollars invested in Clear Lake Capital, who are the majority owners of Chelsea. And you'd wonder if there isn't something a little bit funky going on here. Now, it's near impossible to prove, and the valuations aren't out of the realms of reality, 
The Koulibaly deal is pretty much what they paid for him. The Mendy deal is slightly above what they paid for him. The Zayic deal is a little bit below what they paid for them. So Chelsea can make the claim that, yeah, look, these are what we value these players at. So if they get themselves out of the FFP hole using Saudi Arabia and that one deal with City for Kovacic, who I think would be a great addition for City, I think he'd be phenomenal there. Um, I think it, it, it will be a knock to the likes of Arsenal and United and others that were hoping to get some players out of Chelsea on cheaper deals. It also likely means that there's no chance Levi Colwell leaves, especially with Koulibaly going. They'll just keep him and Badi Ashile and see who who wins out in that battle for the left-side centre-back role. It probably means Conor Gallagher stays another year because Palace, who are the main club interested, won't be willing to go above and beyond what their own set valuation is, which is somewhere in that 25 to 30 million range. He's also been linked to Newcastle, but I don't think there's anything really in that. But it does put Chelsea back in a strong position when it comes to selling the other players the club that they may or may not want rid of. They don't really seem to want to sell Havertz or Mount. And I wouldn't be surprised if they just rolled the dice and kept one or both of them with the belief that they'll love it under Poch that much that they'll just want to stay. Mount is obviously a more precarious situation because he's out of contract in a year, whereas Kai has two years left. But we'll wait and see. Also, it looks like there is another Premier League player heading for Saudi Arabia, and that is Ruben Neves. And this is one of the more disappointing deals. But I'm not going to criticise the player because... Yes, he is stepping out of elite-level football in the prime of his career to go and play in what really is a third-rate league. But at the same time, if the if the wages that have been reported are real, you can't criticise the player. You can't. If he's currently earning about a hundred grand a week at Wolves, and it's probably less than that. And they're willing to pay him 400 grand a week. Money he's not going to ever get the opportunity to earn again. Why wouldn't he take it? Like, not everybody plays football because they love it. Some of them, many of them, do just see it as a job. And when it's over, they move on and do other things with their lives. So I'm not going to criticize Neves if he decides to go. Can't criticise Wolves because the fee they're going to get for a player with one year left in his contract is is exceptional. And I wouldn't be one to criticise a buying club for paying that type of money for him to get him over there. It's just disappointing that we would be losing one of the best passers of the ball in Europe to a league that, let's be fair, they can fluff it up whatever they want. Not many of us are going to watch that league. Not many of us will watch that league at all. One person who is not going to Saudi Arabia is Steven Gerrard. Um, it, it was reported, widely reported, that he was going to take over as manager of Al Etafak. Etafak, that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, but he has he has apparently turned the job down and, and didn't sign his contract and 
is going to look for opportunities in England. Um, we'll wait and see if any come up. At the moment, he doesn't seem to be in a strong position unless Leicester decide to go there. I, I thought maybe Leeds, but we went through the odds earlier and it does look like Leeds are, are going maybe down the Daniel Farker role, uh, route. rather. So maybe Leicester, but who knows? Who knows? Either way, he's not going to Saudi Arabia. He is going to stay in England. Um, Brighton have announced the signing of Mohamed Dahoud. Sorry, Mahmoud, Mahmoud Dahoud from Borussia Dortmund on a free. I do like that signing. I think it's a clever one. If he can ever get back to the form he showed for Gladbach, that's a, he's a hell of a player. Um, it also looks like they're going to win the race for Bart for Bruggen, who's maybe the best young keeper in Europe. They're going to beat Burnley to him. He's a big, big upgrade on the likes of Steele and Sanchez. And I assume they'll sell Sanchez for a fee pretty similar to what they're going to pay for Verbruggen, which is a big, big upgrade. Um, Dejan Kulisevsky has made his move to Tottenham a permanent move. It looks like Spurs were able to work the price down a little bit and get that deal across the line. And that is all we have for now. So let's do the gossip and we'll be done for today. We've got four days worth of gossip. Bayern Munich are discussing a move from Manchester City and England fullback Kyle Walker. I believe that this is his agent trying to get him a new contract at City. That's my personal belief on this. Chelsea have agreed personal terms with Nicholas Jackson of Villarreal who has a release clause of £29.8 million. Looks like Chelsea are going to trigger that release clause, but maybe pay over it to be able to split the fee across um, five years of a contract. Manchester United have been offered the chance to sign £80 million Portugal striker Goncalo Ramos. £80 million is a lot for him, but he is good. Chelsea have turned down an opening bid for Kai Havertz, but talks are continuing, and the German forward is keen on a move. Bayern Munich have now joined Havertz in, sorry, joined Arsenal in the race for Havertz. Bayern would make more sense for him. But he might make more sense. I don't know. I don't really like the fit of him at Arsenal. He's a really good player. I really like Kai Havertz. I just, in a team that has Odegaard, I just don't like the fit. I don't like the idea of him in the Xhaka role. Because I don't think he can do the defensive side of it. Paris Saint-Germain will not be hiring Julian Nagelsmann as a new manager after both parties decided to call off the move. It looks like Luis Enrique will be the new manager of PSG. Um, Arsenal are looking at a move for Romeo Lavia but face competition from Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester United. Barcelona have made Ilkay Gundogan their priority signing for the summer and have stepped up their pursuit of the German midfielders at a contract. David De Gea looks set to leave Manchester United this summer with the Spanish goalkeeper's contract talks looking bleak. That's weird because that was pretty much agreed back in March. Uh, Kulisewski, Man City are on the verge of completing a deal for Mateo Kovacic for £34 million. I know he's 29, but I do think that's a good price. Brighton are looking for £100 million from Chelsea for Moises Caicedo. And I I do think he's worth that money. I really do think he's worth that money. Uh, the spoofer with the catchphrase wants us all to believe that Chelsea have reached agreement on personal terms with Caicedo. Um, 
Paris Saint-Germain are interested in Bernardo Silva, but Man City do not want to sell him. Martin Zubimendi is top of Xavi's list of transfer targets for the summer. Barca don't have 60 million, so tough, basically. Uh, Saudi, Arabian, Saudi Arabian club Al Nazir are ready to make a considerable offer to Chelsea for Hakim Ziyech. Juventus are in talks with Leicester to sign Timothy Castagna. I don't know why, because he's not good. Um, Daniel Farkett to Leeds. Manchester United and Tottenham are among clubs who have spoken to representatives of Robin Cock. I, I, I have a tough time believing that when I see who it's from. I think it's garbage. Uh, Tosin Adarabio is among targets being considered by Tottenham. West Ham have submitted a loan offer for Fabio Carvalho, while Brentford and Burnley have also made inquiries about a temporary deal. Burnley's the best fit for him because he doesn't get a game for Brentford or for West Ham, frankly. Manchester United have begun talks with Manchester City in attempts in an attempt to sign Jack and Tyler Fletcher, the 16-year-old twin sons of former United midfielder Darren Fletcher, who was the technical director at Old Trafford. Isn't it slightly damning of United's academy that their technical director's sons are both at City? Isn't that a bit weird? Manchester United are preparing a £45 million bid for Jordan Pickford. You have no idea how much I want that to happen. Uh, United are expected to increase their bid for Mason Mount to £50 million after an initial bid of £40 million was turned down. Uh, Chelsea won 60 I reckon 55 will probably get it done. Chelsea have asked Inter Milan if they would include Nicolo Barella in a swap deal that would see Romelu Lukaku make a permanent move to Italy. You can still hear the laughter coming from Milan if you listen really carefully. Newcastle have added Mark Kukurea to their list of summer transfer targets. Chelsea may offer Conor Gallagher to Brighton. I'm not sure why Brighton would want Gallagher, who's not technically gifted enough to play in their midfield. Uh, Liverpool and Chelsea have have inquired about uh, Gabri Viega. Al-Halil have agreed personal terms with Kaladu Koulibaly. Chelsea are looking to sell Aubameyang, Mendy and Zayich to Saudi clubs. Paris Saint-Germain have spoken to Mikel Arteta about becoming the new coach. No, they haven't. That's a lie. Uh, Mikel Arteta wouldn't go outside of his contract. There's just there's absolutely no chance he has spoken to anybody else while contracted to Arsenal. Just no chance at all. Um, say whatever you want about him, but that's just not the way he goes about handling himself. PSG have Luis Enrique... Xabi Alonso and Thiago Mata among their, con- their candidates to replace uh, Christoph Galtier. It looks like it'll be Enrique. I would doubt they ever really considered Alonso or Mata. Um, David Rea has agreed personal terms with Tottenham, says the spoofer with the catchphrase. Interesting, I saw a Brentford account say, it was yesterday was the first day in like eight that the spoofer hadn't mentioned Raya. And he just, that's all the guy tweeted. He said, how many days... Uh, sorry, number of days since Fabrizio Romano tweeted about David Rea won, and the tin-skinned little cretin himself had a big meltdown and a little tantrum uh, at this random bright, uh, Brentford account and called him a cowboy <laughs> and said it was about respect, which is just hilarious given the guy's entire brand is lying and stealing other people's work. Um, 
Raya says the bees are asking for a lot of money for him and that could make clubs not want to buy him. Liverpool are interested in Ryan Gravenberch. West Ham have launched an inquiry. You don't launch an inquiry. You make an inquiry. You launch a bid uh, for Jared Branthwaite. They have a really good lefty centre-back at Agard. I don't know that Branthwaite would want to go and be back up, and it is Wayne Vesey, so probably spoofing. Real Betis want to agree a permanent deal for Iosi Perez. Makes sense. Real Betis are also interested in signing Eric Bailly. Mark Rocket is set to leave Leeds to join Real Betis on loan. So now Leeds would need at least two midfielders in. Uh, Bayern Munich say they have no intention of selling Joshua Kimmich and criticise Barcelona for flirting with the German midfielder. This is the club that flirts with every player on the market. Barcelona coach Xavi is interesting in a deal that would see Frank Kessie join Inter Milan with Marcelo Brozovic heading the other way. That that's not the worst. It's not the worst deal in the world. After terminating his contract with Real Madrid, Eden Hazard is considering a return to Belgium to play alongside his younger brother Killian at RWD Molenbeek. Killian Hazard was meant to be like the most talented of the four Hazard brothers. So obviously Thorgan's had a, a pretty decent career. Um he was never seen as as talented as as uh Eden. But eat uh, sorry Killian Hazard was meant to be the one and his career just never really went anywhere. He's look, he's had a decent career playing in in Belgium. Uh, did spend two years playing in in Hungary as well, but never gotten never gotten above this level. Uh, he's currently playing in with a team that are in the, the that have been promoted to the top flight, which is why they would likely get, bring in Eden Hazard. Um, there's a younger brother, Ethan, who I don't think is... I think he's still very young, but he hasn't made it to the professional ranks yet. See what happens with him. Uh, Jordi Alba has agreed a contract with Inter Miami after leaving Barcelona, but the Spain fullback still has offers from Inter Milan, Atletico Madrid, and the Saudi League. So wait and see what happens with him. Uh, moving on, Arsenal are willing to sell Thomas Partey. Here's the thing. Thomas Partey is a really good player. He's a heinous human being. Who is signing him with what's hanging over him, hanging over him? Who is signing him? I don't see any top club being willing to sign him, given what he's under investigation for. Given that he has a real threat of a prison sentence hanging over his head. I think the only option for him to leave Arsenal is Saudi Arabia. Because there's no extradition. I don't see any other chance that he's going anywhere. Uh, Chelsea will step up talks for Moises Caicedo after a £60 million offer was rejected. Well, that's way below what they're asking for and you're only going to annoy Brighton doing that. Kai Havertz is set to seal a move to Arsenal. I mean, Sky Germany, it's Pletty Spoof who really needs to keep himself in his lane. Uh, Kylian Mbappe says he will stay at Paris Saint-Germain next season, and then decide his future in 2024. This fellow wants to have all the power and fair play to him. 
Real Madrid say they will announce the signing of striker Jocelyn from Espanyol this week and rule out any move for Mbappe. Well, Jocelyn is coming in on loan. He's also not very good. I mean, he's not very good at all. So the idea that he is coming in to replace Karim Benzema is absolute madness. They are definitely looking for a striker. Definitely. I know he scored 16 goals last season in a team that got relegated. And the season before that, he scored 14 in a team that got relegated. But we've seen him for years be nothing more than a journeyman, middle-of-the-road, bang-average player. Real need a striker. (laughs) Badly. Um, West Ham are preparing to make a bid for Joe Polina. Gianluca Schimacca has agreed terms with Roma, with West Ham willing to let the striker leave on loan or loan to buy. did say Roma was the perfect move for him. Um, Bayern Munich are in advanced negotiations, signed Kyle Walker. No, they're not. Uh, Monaco's Axel de Sisi remains a firm target for Manchester United as Kim Min-Jae, who was their top target, looks set to join Bayern. Bayern are going to have quite the logjam at centre-back. There's definitely going to be somebody available because they've got him, they've got Lucas Hernandez. Now, he might be the one that leaves, but you've still got Upa Meccano and Matthias De Ligt. A Kim and De Ligt pairing might work. Kim and Upa Meccano, I'm not sure. It'll be interesting to see what they do next season, especially with Tuchel having a full pre-season under his belt. Um, Luis Enrique is expected to be the next manager of Paris Saint-Germain. Hakim Ziyech is in talks to join Al-Nazir. Chelsea remain interested in Victor Osman, but Victor Osman's about to extend his contract with Napoli. Newcastle are set to turn their attention to Kefram Turam. Um, it's Peter Rourke. The amount of spoofing involved there is remarkable. He'll be a Liverpool player. Newcastle are set to make a surprise bid for West Brom's English goalkeeper, Josh Griffiths. Now, there are a couple of Premier League clubs um, interested in Josh Griffiths because, A, he's very, very talented, and, B, he's also English and will count as homegrown. Um, It's a couple of good loan spells. Wouldn't be surprised if he's at a Premier League club next season. Borussia Dortmund's French defender, Sumala Koulibaly, is, is in advanced discussions over a loan move to Burnley. Burnley will switch their attentions to Antwerp's French goalkeeper, Jean Batouz, if they miss out on Bart Verbruggen. Uh, They've missed out on Verbruggen. Batouz is a bit of a strange one. Say it with me, lads. Quivin Kelleher. Uh... Luton are interested in Morocco striker Ryan May, Mamey from Ferencvaros. Luton are also keen to sign Blackburn's Belgian keeper Thomas Kaminski, who is valued at around six million. That seems that seems like the type of move you make if you're expecting to go straight back down, and that's what I think their plan might be not not to just go back down, but to set themselves up so that if they do go down they're in a really strong position to come back up 
Uh, PSG are continuing negotiations with Real Mallorca over uh, Lee Kang-ing. Sergio Busquets is close to joining into Miami. Uh, Antoine Griezmann says it's his dream to one day join an MLS club. And Barcelona have agreed to sign Vitor Roque from Atletico Paranese. I don't think that's quite the case. I think they've agreed personal terms, but I don't think they can afford the fee for him because uh, he will be very expensive. Moving on then to the final day's worth. Paris Saint-Germain have made Harry Kane their top priority. I, I don't believe that to be true. Kyle Walker is in talks over a contract extension. So he's him to Bayern and Liverpool and whoever else has, has had some sort of effect. Uh, Bernardo Silva has received an offer to join the Saudi Pro League. I don't think he'll take that. Spurs have received a £51 million offer for... Uh, Son Hung, Son Hung Min. I, again, I just don't see that happening. West Ham's England midfielder Declan Rice is ready to agree personal terms to become an Arsenal player this month. Uh, Tottenham are favourites to sign James Madison, who prefers a move to London over Newcastle. Marcus Rashford is on the verge of signing a new long-term contract at Manchester United, allegedly three hundred and seventy-five grand a week, so wage structure continually thrown out the window at Old Trafford. Kai Havertz has no intention of signing a new deal at Chelsea. It's not really a concern for Chelsea at the moment, given he does have the two years left. But James Olley is an Arsenal fan and wants to put it out there to make sure everybody's aware of the situation. Uh, Thomas Partey has been given permission to explore a transfer to the Saudi Pro League. Probably the only place he can go. Jordan Pickford is happy at Everton, has not been approached by Manchester United. Napoli hoped to agree a contract extension with Victor Osman. Liverpool want to sign Ryan Gravenberch. Ilke Gundogan has been approached by Borussia Dortmund, but does not want to go back to the Bundesliga. Uh, Nicholas Jackson to Chelsea. Bristol will not be rushed into selling Alex Scott, who's a 25 million rated target for Tottenham and Wolves. 25 million is a lot given he's only played in the championship. Republic of Ireland defender Matt Doherty, who's a free agent after being released by Atletico Madrid, has been linked to the move to the Saudi Pro League. Brighton are considering a move for Conor Gallagher. I don't believe that to be true. And given the sources Peter Rourke, we can be certain it's not true. West Ham are set to miss out on Edson Alvarez, but will push ahead with a move for Jay Polina. Galatasaray want to sign Wolves' 20-year-old, 20-year-old Portuguese striker Fabio Silva, who spent last season out on loan. And lastly, Brentford are in talks to sign Rav Vandenberg from PEC, PEC's Wolves. Rav Vandenberg is the younger brother of Liverpool's Sepp Vandenberg. And that's it. That's all we've got today, folks. Thanks, as always, and I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.